and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my free training, The Three Legal and Tax Mistakes Made by New and Experienced Business Owners and How You Can Avoid Them. Here's the thing. There's a few key things we've all got to do to make sure we unfuck our biz. I've seen all the mistakes and I know how to help you get past them. So here's what I want you to do. Go to www.unfuckyourbiz.com, sign up for the free training, watch it, and do at least one of the homework assignments I share in the masterclass. Promise? Okay, now let's dive into the episode. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is Thursday, so you know what that means. We're having a little bit of a longer form podcast episode. If you missed Tuesday's episode, you might want to check it out because I have the same guest back today. So today we are joined again by Sarah Hockey, one of my good friends. Sarah is the owner uh, and founder of To Rise Together and also the creator of The Money Studio. Sarah, how's it going? It's going great. I'm so excited to be here today again. Likewise, this this podcast recording has been in the works for a long time. We keep we keep meaning to sit down and chat, so I'm glad we're making it happen right now. Me too. Okay, so first of all, can you tell us just what Rise Together and The Money Studio are? What are those things? What are they about? Yes. So to Rise Together is really the collection of people who are thinking these thoughts and ideas and learning about money in a new way. It's sort of the umbrella of a movement, I call it, of freelancers, artists, small business owners, and creative people who work for themselves, getting their money shit together so we don't have to panic and freak out constantly and can be free to be creative. That's to rise together. And the reason I named it that is several fold, but mostly because as you rise, we all rise together because a rising tide lifts all the boats. I love that image. And um, also, Anytime we think about a particular singular journey, like creating some sort of circumstance in your life, for me, a big one was getting out of debt. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. And so I had this rising up a mountain picture that whole time. So it's called to rise together. And the money studio is the place where we get down and dirty with mindset and money so that we can ultimately create the life that we really dream of and deserve and stop wasting our energy on worrying about money or really negative self-talk and the baggage that comes with our thoughts around money. So what, what types of people do you have in the money studio? Like who do you usually work with? Um, what do you got going on in there? I usually work with people who are creative. I think because my other life as a my other secret life, not so secret, is as a classical soprano. So I've run my own artistic career for a long time and folks know me and my story from that world. And they're drawn, I think, to the way this works, people that have a creative mind, because we're naturally curious. We tend to be introspective because in order to reach our own 
raise our bar of greatness in our artistic work or creative work, it takes introspection and self-reflection. And that's a big part of the program. And so those folks tend to be attracted to this work and my unique approach. And so that's who's usually in there. Nice. Okay. So, so let's jump back now, get, get into a little bit of your story, how you got to where you are right now. So I don't know where you want to start. Maybe go back like a decade ago. Tell us what it was that you were doing before you got into this like education space that you're in now. Before I started teaching, honestly, almost full time, I love thinking of myself as an educator. Spoiler alert, I do have a master's degree in education, (laughs) but that's a story for another day. (laughs) Um, So I've been an educator for a long time, but my real focus was on my performing career. And in a nutshell, in pursuit of this dream of being on stage and being paid for it, which another spoiler alert has happened, I've had my dream career singing for many years now, I got into behind the scenes very secretly a lot of debt because we both come from the Midwest. I come from a family with Zilcho as far as uh, financial resources go. And so I was making my own way and also had no idea what I was doing when I moved to New York City at 22 years old, fresh off the boat from the Midwest, from a conservatory, to take the stage. And so I ended up in a lot of debt because uh, as an educator, I wasn't making enough money to support my lifestyle, my training, and I really had no idea what I was doing with adulting. So I racked up a bunch of debt and I also had a ton of school debt from my bachelor's and master's degree and living in New York doing a master's degree. So I started freelancing, but I was also behind the scenes, very much broke, super in debt, and it would always stress me out. I always knew this debt was this shadow hanging over me and it was hanging over my personal freedom, but moreover my career freedom. Because in order to make ends meet or like hustle to the next paycheck, I had to say yes to everything that was offered and I didn't get the power of choice to choose wisely what career opportunities and side hustles I wanted to do and what was most advantageous to build my body of work, I think of it, and my career. And so about four and a half, maybe five years ago now, I had started in fits and spurts to try and pay off all this debt, which at the very, very tippity top of the mountain was $145,000. And I know that pales in comparison to some, but for me, that was a lot because I only made about forty dollars or $50,000 a year living in New York City. So I knew it was hanging over me and I had consumed everything, every meditation, every book on finance, every personal finance and every emotional self-help book. Like I just took in all this information and nothing would stick. And I kind of found myself in the middle of two worlds. I had failed a bunch of times at getting my money shit together and in fits and starts had tried and tried again. 
And the two worlds that I find found myself between were this world of things positive and abundance and manifest your life and raise your vibration. I love that work. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it because I love it, love it, love it. So I had kind of the introspective personal development and also a little sprinkle of woo-woo. And I also had, <laughs> I know, I know, we have to have a little fairy dust on top of personal finance in order to make it... <laughs> You know, I am the Mary Poppins meets Madonna of personal finance. So it's the fairy <laughs> like dust. That. They both get fairy dust. Well, I do, so I do want to ask you, I want to like kind of go mm -hmm. back to the beginning when you were in, so you moved to New York to do your master's, right? And then you started working. You said that you, you did some stage work. So tell us a little bit about like, were you in musicals? Like, what is it that you were doing over there in New York city with your big dreams? Uh Oh, I am trained as an opera singer. So I do classical concerts. So I sang with the New York Philharmonic and did a bunch of operas around the city locally. And then I started doing operas internationally, like at LA Opera and um, in Switzerland at the Verbier Festival, I sang some things. And so my career built and built and built. And I tend to be super career and goal oriented. Hello, Capricorn. So I, I respond well to goals. Are you an Enneagram three? I don't know. It's killing me because well, I know how well, passionate you, you are. That. Well, okay. okay. I do have, a, I do have one question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you sing us a note? <laughs> I'm going to break the mic. No, this is so exciting. <laughs> I don't know how this mic works with singing, but let's try it. I'm going to take it away from you a little bit. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. You know, the mic quality, probably not what you're used to on the stage, but the voice is still fantastic. We don't so. use mics. Oh, we don't okay. use mics. Okay. Well, I'm sure you're in very, very acoustic, like acoustically engineered settings. Okay. We are. Yeah. So you have this immense talent. You're doing your thing in New York and it sounds like all over the world. You said that you had some student debt that you started to, that you started to get how much of your, your total debt balance, you said 140 some thousand was student debt versus I'm assuming the rest was consumer credit card debt. Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown as to what you, I know I ask very personal, intimate questions, but I know that oh, you hear this on other forums. So you're oh, I'm an open book. I'm an open book. So I wish I had the exact breakdown, but I know that when I started paying off my biggest student loan balance, it was around... 60 grand. That was SallyMay.com. Now, Navient.com. I know that website very well. Yes. <laughs> I've logged in a lot over the last <laughs> those few years. So that balance, which is like an amalgamation of a bunch of different loans, was I think 63K. So at the start of my sprint, so I started sprinting when I probably had about 75 left to go. So you'd already paid down. 75. You'd already paid down about seventy. Mm -hmm. If you had 60, over ten 000, years, yeah. If you had yeah. seventy thousand in student loans, what was the rest of the debt from? Credit cards, all. So those are the only two kinds of debt I had. I had various forms of credit cards and student loans. So you had you had almost seventy thousand dollars in credit card debt. It sounds like. 
I had other student loans that I had already nixed by the time I started getting gung-ho and paying gotcha. everything off. So I had like another one that was 17K and I had a small one that was like a thousand and 5,000. I had a bunch of little loans. I mean, 17K is not little, but I had a bunch of smaller loans and then I had credit card balances. One was like 5,000, 5,300 and somewhere itsy bitsy like uh, 500. It was all kind of all over the place, but the bulk of my debt was student loans. But do not put a halo or a crown on me for this. Oh, I sacrificed for my education. No, no, no. I used some student loan money to help supplement my living expenses in New York, which is where I really screwed myself. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't think, increasing my income. Yeah, so I, I think, wasn't able I to pay it back. There. Um, <laughs> okay. So Whenever, whenever I hear about like credit cards in New York City, I immediately picture the movie Confessions of a Shopaholic. Have you seen that one? No, but I'm sure I starred in it and I just it's didn't so, know. It's so good. It's such a good movie. You should check it out. But I would imagine, did you feel like at the time that you had these credit cards, did you, did you feel like you like were just spinning it on frivolous stuff or did, did you really think at the time that you need, like you needed those to support like your actual necessary life expenses? Oh, this is such a good question, especially for me, because I've dove back and I had to do a lot of, honestly, self-forgiveness work of my 22, 23, 24-year-old self because I just didn't know any better. But we're so taught in creative pursuits that you have to look a certain way or be a certain thing in order to be worthy of maybe even in law school, but in order to be worthy to even get the job. So you need to have to, you need to look a certain way. You need to dress a certain way, present yourself a certain way, especially in the world of opera. I mean, bougie AF. <laughs> so I, and I bought into this idea, also the sex in the city idea that if I'm not eating lunch out or dinner out, uh, I'm a failure and I'm not successful in my career. And it was also, it's just so easy to spend money and to buy into that inner narrative in New York City, because on any block, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars at restaurants and stores. So at the time, I thought I'm doing what it takes to be successful in my career. And now looking back, when I actually had success and saying like two seasons ago, my LA Opera debut, debut I didn't do any of those things. I wore effing jeans to rehearsal. I dressed in the same black t-shirt on stage. None of that stuff was a part of it. It was all the emotional labor, the emotional work of showing up, improving what I do. I call it my craft and becoming the becoming world-class in what I do. And that is emotional labor. You can't buy clothes or shoes or different kind of heels or show up at a certain restaurant to pay for that. It has to come from within. But I only know that now at 36, I didn't know that at 24 and 25 when I wasn't even singing for a living, just aspiring to sing. So when you, so you mentioned that you pay down about $70,000 over 10 years and then you paid off the rest in rapid succession. So we're going to talk about what that looked like in a few minutes. But I'm curious, once you hit that middle point where you said, you know what, I want to get rid of the rest of this, did you have this like epiphany? Was it a come to Jesus moment? Or 
like what what was the spark that kind of made you decide that you were going to go all in rather than just doing i'm assuming the monthly payments you'd been doing the past 10 years it's so funny you ask this today because earlier today I recorded a podcast episode for our podcast where I talked about three questions. And the first question really came at this time. And it, it was the answer to the question that was like, I can't do it this way anymore. And this has to be off my plate so that I can be free to create the life that I want. And I asked myself, I kind of did it every year. What do I want in a year, three years and five years? Like for in a business mindset, it's yearly planning. But in a personal light, what do I want my life to look like in a year, three years, and five years? And I did that exercise so many times. And I finally got to the point that I just knew if I stepped off another stage and had to give my paycheck that I worked my entire life to get, not big paychecks, I mean 2,300 bucks, maybe six grand at best, to step off stage and get that paycheck for that opera or concert or whatever. And I was still handing it to Sally Mae or Navient or whatever, or, you know, Chase Freedom credit card and not building my future. I was going to stay stuck in the same apartment. I was going to be stuck in the same lifestyle, hustling for every single gig, exhausted, no days off. And I just said to myself, this is not it. This, I know I deserve more than this. I finally believe I do. And I haven't quite figured it out. And these two wor worlds of thought of very much personal finance and very much self-development and reflection, I haven't found it there, but I'm going to mix together in this amazing stew what I do know, and I'm going to do it no matter what. And I just made a vow to myself. So I have promises and vows. And it, a promise, sometimes I break it, okay? Let's be real. <laughs> a vow I never, ever, ever break to myself. I only have three or four. And I vowed, no matter what, no matter what comes my way, I am getting rid of this debt. It has held me back, stressed me out, and I'm tired of living paycheck to paycheck and having nothing to show for it year after year after year, no matter what stages I sing on or what amazing side hustles I do. I don't want to see nothing at the end of the year. And so that was the turning point. And I just said, no matter what, it was April, 2016, no matter what I'm doing this as long as it takes till the end. And I wanted to go fast. I wanted to go as fast as possible because it was uncomfortable. I just wanted yeah, to be I done. Think, I think this like crossroad between personal finance and personal development, was that what you said? Personal development? Yeah is super yeah. interesting. And that's why I didn't mention this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm calling this the money series. So I've br been bringing on accountants, CPA, certified financial planners, but also mindset experts, because I think it's super important that we come at like both angles. Well, I, what, so the, the next thing I'm kind of curious about from your perspective as I think for me as a more analytical person, I always want to get really into the weeds of, well, does it make more sense to put all of my eggs in the saving for my next house basket so that I can get a really good loan and ha carry less debt when I buy the house or to really pay off my student loans in rapid succession, even though I might get like loan forgiveness down the road. But that's really looking at it from the personal finance uh angle and looking at the interest rates, but there really is this whole, like, what mental weight do these different things carry and how am I dealing with that? And how does that impact my life and my choices? And it seems like, I mean, for you, paying down the debt was probably a good decision from both of those perspectives. But even if, 
even if you, you could have argued, well, it would make sense for me to put this money over this other basket, would you agree that it's, it kind of sounds like paying off that debt was a way for you to turn a corner, so to speak, like in your own life for the things that you wanted to do? Absolutely. I think that it is different for different people. And I don't want to be so black and white that it's debt is bad. I mean, I think debt, here's what I think about debt. I think it, um, I believe I teach it in the program, in the money studio. We talk about it. We explore this idea. I think that debt has a reduces our ability. Let's think of ourselves as in a container. There's this gorgeous quote. I wish I had it in front of me. Um, I think it's by Martha Graham that we must as creative people. And if you're a business owner and you listen to Braden's podcast and you own a business, I don't know, cut, cutting yards, you're still creating, you're creating opportunities, you're creating relationships, you're creating scenarios for your clients. We're always creating. I, I love how creative um, now being a small business owner is. It's such a good fit. So don't think of yourself as not a creative person if you don't literally sing for a living like, like I do or did. What this quote is by Martha Graham, I'm pretty sure, is that we have to keep the channel open. And I think of it like this big cylindrical container. I think of myself, if I can think of my physical form as this big cylinder, you know, and keep the channel open. It's like this, I am an artery or I'm a channel for creative ideas to flow through. And in order to be the most creative or make the most impact, it takes creativity and emotional risk to make an impact in the world. If you wanna be on the world stage with your business, if you wanna be world-class in your personal life, anything, we have to have the channel open. And I started to understand that what was happening subtly was that I had a, a huge amount of risk in my channel and that reduced the amount of risk I was able to take, like putting myself out there, PMOT, we have a fund in, in our world called PMOT funds, putting myself out there funds. Um, it reduced my ability to put myself out there and it reduced my ability to do the emotional labor of growing my body of work and putting myself out there. Or even the Brene Brown thought of, being able to say, I love you first, that is a risk. Being able to say, I'm sorry first, that's a risk. These kinds of subtle risks and then also big career risks like you and I probably think about a lot. And I realize that if I'm a container or a channel, taking all this financial risk is reducing my ability to be a total open channel to take risks creatively. And that idea is what helped me through the whole journey frame this with in the, in the framework of like what Simon Sinek talks about in Start With Why. I needed to understand why I was doing it in order to do it. For me, it was to be free to do the work that matters, stop hustling for whatever pays and smooth out the natural, if you think of it like an ocean, as a freelancer, as someone that works for ourselves, we have this natural innate volatility in our income. It spikes up when we're launching or it spikes up when we get a big contract and then it shot, shoots down. You know, or if you write a book, it spikes up and then it shoots down. I was obsessed with trying to figure out how to smooth those spikes and waves 
and living so close paycheck to paycheck, which I did, and also having all this debt worked together to add to these huge waves. And then it was like, I'm lost in my career. I'm just going in the same circles and I'm not moving forward in the way that I want and achieving what I want, which really helped me frame it in both the personal development and introspective way that I do and tactical because all of a sudden there was not just a financial cost, there was an emotional cost. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the waves, like what I, so, so I talk about that a lot too. And what I always kind of picture is when you're on that roller coaster, you're like a rowboat in the middle of the ocean surrounded by all these big waves and it's exciting. Like you're at the top and you're like, this is fun. I can see everything. When you're in the middle of them, it's terrifying. Whereas instead you could be like, I don't know, a big ass cruise ship, just like plowing through them. Once you get your debt paid, your debt paid down and your cash flow, right? Oh, Um, that is brilliant. Like, it's like, we're widening our base. Yeah. Widening the base of how we can plow through, you know, going through turbulent Alaskan waters and not become the Titanic. But yeah, I have to turn, I have to turn everything into analogy in order to understand it myself. So like my audience has probably just gotten really used to it. So Okay, let, let's go back to um, your, your kind of like debt. I'm going to call it an epiphany for lack of a better word. So you, ha- you made this decision, you found your why, which seemed like the really like, important aspect to this. I think that's important for everyone. And then you decided I'm going to pay down this debt very rapidly. So typically when it comes to either, you know, making more money, putting more money in our bank account or paying off the debt, we can do that two ways. We can bring in more income or we can spend less of our money on whatever it is we were spending it on. So as you kind of started your journey, what did that look like for you? Like, did you pick up a second and third job? Did you just do the thing that all the finance articles like to tell us to do and like not go buy Starbucks anymore? Or was it a health, like a healthy, responsible combination of both? I would say at first I tried to do what all the articles I had read and podcasts I listened to and books I read said, do nothing, live on beans and rice, rice and beans, do nothing. But what I found is I would feel so guilty because then I would schedule a lunch meeting at a coffee shop. How dare you? And I'd be like, I know, all I get is coffee. And I would be like, wait. I didn't actually plan this $5. I told myself I was not going out at all. So the all or nothing, the all or nothing approach, I was all in, but the all or nothing approach in that much scarcity of absolutely no outside thing, but necessity really made me feel guilty quickly. And so I started doing the cash envelopes, which we've talked about before. I literally would put, I literally have it in my wallet still four different envelopes. And one of them was eating out and my eating out (laughs) budget. I put like 80 bucks at least in Uh, 80 a month. I would put 80 to a hundred a month and then spending was minimal. I said, listen, I can get my gowns and nice clothes at, you know, clothing exchange parties, true story. And so that ended up taking care of itself pretty well. I continued to spend on PMOT, putting myself out there. So I continued to invest in, if we just talk performing career, now my work life looks differently. Like I'm investing in other types of continuing development for TRT, but for a performing career, I would continue to work with my uh, career and life coach. That was an investment. I would continue to take voice lessons because the thing is, 
if we need a certain amount of, now this is not saying, let me pause here and I hope everybody hears this loud and clear. This is not saying I'm not enough, I'm not worthy and so I need to buy this training in order to be worthy of getting the thing in my career I want. This, is, this came from a wise, deep place of, I am coaching a, like for a singer, I'm coaching a role and it, I want it to be world-class so I continue to get hired by this conductor to do more of this role or something similar. And so I would continue to take voice lessons, do coachings, which is like where I meet with a conductor and we work on the music part. I continue to take um, theater class and things like that. So I would still spend, but I, I stopped doing things like paying for demo recordings. I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll use my iPhone at the concert. Literally got so much work by doing that. I think what I did is create, created a, a higher sense of like magnetic self-worth when I was like, I am worth it. And my performance tells you, even though it's just on my iPhone. So I stopped spending like tons of extra. I, I really honed in on what was most important on PMOT, putting myself out there and did more emotional work. I did more reach outs, which are free. Emails are free. So I would research. <laughs> the. We talk about this a lot in Creative Pursuits, but think of, the, think of right now your top three, dream three people to collaborate with. Me, it's probably Simon Sinek. It's probably our teacher, Amy Porterfield, who knows? And maybe it's my acting teacher, Jen Wallman, or something like this. Or maybe it's Seth Godin. Like top three people. Instead of paying to take their programs to try and get seen by them, which is what we fall into in creative pursuits for sure, instead I would start to build relationships. And for me back then, it was different people, like conductors or collaborators creatively, or like you can think of it like B2B. So I started doing more emotional labor and less paying to get in front of people. And then on the income side, I want to tell you a secret, Brayden. I don't know why I'm so nervous to tell you this personally. We're friends. It's just the two of us and you who's listening. So <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to double my income. I wanted to double my income and I tried so hard to double my income because I knew if I doubled it, it would only take a year and a half to two years. To pay Never worked. Yeah. yeah. To pay the debt off. I was like, I can double my income. No problem. I'm a freelancer. I can take more work. No, I tried as hard as I could. I did increase it in fits and spurts, depending on what other opportunities came my way or, you know, I had one-on-one -on -one clients and if more of them booked, I would... I did not double my income. My income stayed pretty much the same, pretty much the same. <laughs> and it's just when you start to get intentional with the paycheck that you have, no matter where it come from, I like to tell my students, your paycheck doesn't know where it came from. It just knows that it's money. So when you start to get intentional with your side hustles and your main business income, career income, it just, what happened is with the inner work I was doing, my priorities became very clear and then making choices with my money each month ahead of time when I would make my plan for the coming month, I would see like, oh, I think I need to hustle for, let me try and make 500 extra bucks next month or, um, and I had reduced my spending as much as humanly possible. So there wasn't anything to cut there, but I would just try and up the up and set little income goals for myself every month. Maybe I can book one extra music student to make another X, Y, Z money. So let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more about that planning. 
Um, like super like practical question. You had like at this point in time, you committed to pay off the rest of this debt. I'm assuming that you probably had student loans and things on like auto, like minimum, minimum balance or minimum payment due auto payments or something. But then obviously to pay it off quicker, you have to pay in more chunks. So did you just like wait until the end of the month and say, I have a thousand extra dollars. That's what I'm going to pay towards this debt. Or what did your process look like for that? That's such a great question. Um, some months I would wait till the end of the month, but the thing is, if you wait till the end and something else comes up, something else, and it's, it can be disappointing not to meet your goal for that month. So I'd set an intention. I would say expenses, we do zero-based, so zero-based planning. So income minus expenses equals zero. So as soon as I had filled up my envelopes and things for the next month, or I eventually got two months ahead on my, my, you know, like rent and uh, utilities type bills, I would set a goal for all the leftovers to go towards the debt. And then I would try and meet that goal. But since I had planned my income and expenses before the month began, I would actually tend to see, like, let's say I did make that extra 500 bucks. I did a few reach outs, got a few extra quick gigs or a side hustle or something like that. I would immediately throw 500. If I knew I was going to get 500 that month, I would throw, you know, an extra 300 or I loved seeing it go down so fast. It was so fun and enjoyable. Yeah, I'm a... I'm a big fan of just pay it as soon as you get the money. Otherwise, the money is going to <laughs> go somewhere else, someplace soon. So I do have a question. Do you call it, what do you call it? Zero dollar based? But what's, what's the name for whatever? <laughs> I say zero based. Zero, zero based. based. Okay. And we call it a cash flow plan or we just call it the plan with a yeah. capital P, the plan, because it can be so triggering uh, for emotionally to say the word budget. It's essentially what it is, but actually the essence of it is more, it's a plan. It's not a wish or a dream. It's not something that I might or might not do. It's just a plan. And we take the emotion out of the transactional part of it. We put it into the planning. As so soon as we, we understand- mm -hmm, yeah. Can we talk about how that works for freelancers and business owners? Because I totally understand, like my mom, my mom used to do this. So she did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, right? She's all yeah. about it. <laughs> and she knew like, I'm going to make up, like totally make up numbers, but she knew, oh, I get paid $4,257 every single paycheck. It's very easy for her to allocate that money. No problem. Cause you have a set amount every two weeks. Yeah. For those of us with variable income, we talked about the waves earlier how do you do that planning month to month, knowing that the numbers are going to be different? I literally teach my students how to make a written plan where we write out what we're making next month. And then we sink things into different funds. So like a jar, if you think of it as jars, it's like we want to go ahead and fill the container for rent or mortgage for next month. So that container is filled. So I try and think of it in visual terms. I think it's a lot easier to understand money when we understand it needs to flow into a container because it has that watery energy. So I literally write out everything that will pay me, like let's pretend we're planning for October. I literally write out everything that will pay me in October 
all the expenses coming up in October. Expenses include, by the way, they include planning ahead for like, if you have a big dip in income coming, you got to sink money over there. That's called it. It's called Hill and Valley funds in our world. So when the Valley is coming, you can see it. You're on the peak, you know, in let's say if we're planning for October, let's say December was going to be light or January, you need to put a little in there or you're going to be screwed that month. Mm -hmm. So we have to have the foresight, but I literally just write out everything I'm making from everything from gifts to grants, Christmas presents, birthday presents, side hustle, cash. I pick up five bucks on the sidewalk. It all goes on income side. And the simplicity of it is when you make a fresh plan every single month, it accommodates for our changing needs in how much we make and how much we spend, which also changes from month to month. So what would you say to someone who's listening to that and and says, you know what, honestly, Sarah, that sounds like a lot of fucking work. Oh, it's so simple. Literally, (laughs) if you want (laughs) to, the first time you do it, it'll take you probably my, my students, my first cohort of the class, I gave them a certain amount of time and it took a little longer. So it'll probably take 90 minutes of focused time. And the thing is, I love thinking about it this way. So if we think about our lifespan and money, we will be interacting with money our whole life long. This thing we call money, on the daily we interact with it. And so we can wait until some other time in the future when we're much older to figure out how to make a plan for each month, or we can spend the 90 minutes it takes to make your first one. Or if you're with me in class, we do it in an hour. Or you can wait. So it's like, how much longer are we going to make the world wait for our gifts? Is it worth the 90 minutes? Is And by the way, now it only takes me, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes to do it because you practice it every single month. It gets to be in the blink of an eye. You're like, oh, income coming in. The other thing I would ask our friend, if you are thinking, it sounds like it's too hard. That's what I call the money monster. It's like kind of like this. (laughs) Let me see if I can demo. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm going to make a plan. Sarah's teaching me how to make a plan. Brayden is too. And all of a sudden your money monster like pops up into the scene and is like, but that sounds like it's going to take so long. And you're like, oh, well, I guess you're right. I guess I won't. (laughs) I guess I won't go ahead and design the life I love. I'll listen to you instead, money monster, which I've done so many times, which is why I laugh about it. Yeah, yeah me too. I, mean, I do that. I do that with I do that with all kinds. Of, that's funny. I do that with all kinds of stuff. I also just started watching the show Big Mouth. Have you seen that? So <laughs> yes. that you're making me like picture the hormone monster, but I'm not a monster. Oh my god! I never thought of it that way. That is the perfect image for the money monster. Yeah, it's like it's all the baggage and stuff that we have built up inside of ourselves are stories around money, which we handle in class. Like if we just pretend like we're going to, the thing you need to know is if you pretend like you're going to sit down and like use my planning resources or something to make your first plan for your money. And if you pretend like it's going to be birds flying around your head and Cinderella and all of a sudden the, it's going to be fine. No, no, you're going to have those thoughts because you've been thinking those thoughts for so long. You're going to feel like, Oh, this sucks. Oh, I just don't have enough. I'm not enough. Like those are, that's a natural part of the process. So just welcome those feelings to the table, but don't let them, it's like you welcome them on the road trip of this planning sesh, but you don't let them drive. 
Like you can sit in the back seat and scream all you want, but I'm an adult. And so I'm going to do this plan for the next hour. Okay. Let me, you take 60. I'm working. <laughs> I literally well, talk I to think, my money monster that way. Yeah. I, I think that's probably like the perfect swift kick in the ass people need to get started. I know that you're a very busy lady. You have other people to go report some podcasts with. So before I let you go, if people want to get started um, doing some of these exercises you mentioned, do you have any resources to help them out with that? Where, where should they go? We do. I'm so excited that you asked because I poured my heart and soul into this and it feels like my favorite thing I've ever created ever. So I made a simple training that has a PDF workbook that guides you through the steps and it is five steps to planning ahead on an unpredictable income. I have it. So I want you to look deeply into your headphones right now and listen to me shuffle. I literally have it right in front of me. So look deeply into your headphones right now. It's the five step process. I call it a planning party. So we use sticky notes so that you can move them around. It's flexible. It feels a little bit like going back to the days when we used to be thrilled by pop-up books and scrapbooking parties. It feels a little bit like a scrapbooking party and a pop-up book had a baby and it's really, really good for your bank account. <laughs> Well, I know, I know, Sarah, that you bring a lot of fun and I would say like whimsy to all of your content. You have, it's, it's like a lot of like fun graphics and stuff. Uh, it is, it yeah, is. I like it. I like it. So where do people go to download that? You can up? download it. You can sign, sign up. There's a video training and this uh, PDF that you saw in your earphones to download and you go to, to rise together.com forward slash plan. So it's spelled normal T O R I S E. T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R to rise together.com forward slash plan. And you can grab yours. Beautiful. And we will also put that in our show notes, of course. Also letting everyone know if you've not been to my website in a hot minute, um, I've had my virtual assistant fully revise and redesign our podcast page. It looks beautiful. <sighs> so we also have another VA that's doing a better, much better job than I used to getting our show notes together and getting all of the important information in there. So Sarah, last question for you. Um, I always share with people, my Facebook group is called Braden's Besties. If they're not a member, they should go join. That's where we talk about the podcast, connect, let everyone know about my resources. If people want to become Sarah's besties, where should they go to do that? You would come to our group, which is called To Rise Together. Perfect. On Facebook. Rise, yes, on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash group slash To Rise Together. So easy. Nice. And then are you also active on Instagram? Super active. So by the time this episode drops, we might have our another money monster. It's like we made skits to try and illustrate what the heck the money monster is. <laughs> so so that might even be up by that time, but we're at to rise together. It has dots where the spaces would be. So two T O dot R I S E dot together. And that's on Instagram and we are super active. So if you actually do this resource that I'm giving you, I want to see it. I'm so excited to see what everyone's looks like and what you do with it and how you use it. Beautiful. So DM me. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. So much great information. I appreciate you sharing it with all of my people. Thank you for having me. 
Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.